Well, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the God who celebrates. And as we've talked about these feasts in Israel in the Old Testament, that there were certain breaks that were kind of built into uh, their uh, annual schedule. Because they were farmers mostly, uh, throughout the year there were these times where there were agricultural breaks that they would have. There was planting, and, there was, and they would watch the uh, plants grow, and then there was harvest time. You know, as I was thinking about that, I started wondering and thinking about how many of us have kind of natural breaks built into our schedules. Maybe some of you don't, but there are some who do. Well, there are students and there are uh, school teachers who have this natural finish line kind of built into their year. Usually, you get a few days off in the fall, uh, a few days off in the spring, and you have a, a couple of weeks off for Christmas break and a couple of months off for summer break. You, you work really hard during the year, but then here comes these breaks that you're looking forward to. And I think particularly for college students of those times when you have lectures and you're really having all this hard work to do, especially as the semester gets towards the end. You have final exams and you have papers that are due at the end of the semester. But if you power through that, there's a break at the end. In grammar school and high school, there are similar routines. And if you're a teacher and you grade uh, papers, uh, you, you have these grades that you have to get in and and then comes May and June, and, and you get a little bit of a break then. At least for now, you get a break. There, there are breaks that are built into our calendar year if we're students or teachers. That's not true of everyone, though. There, there are people who prepare taxes. And there are certain times of the year where they're a lot more stressful than at other times of the year. You know, April 15th is a day that we all know where we have to get our taxes in by that day. And so people who have this job that, that they, um, they have to figure out your taxes, people who are CPAs and accountants, they're really, really busy at, at, up to April 15th, especially as that date is approaching. There's a certain busyness about different times of the year, depending on what kind of accounting you do. But there, there are, for many accountants, there's April 15th is a big deadline. And then after that, you have a little bit of a break. Things maybe slow down just a little bit. Uh, what about retail? You know, um, if you're in retail, you experience this. Stores are being bombarded with shoppers at, at different times of the year, especially around place, times of like Thanksgiving. You know, even before Black Friday, the, the stores are just being bombarded with people. And it goes all the way through New Year's Day when uh, people are starting to return the things that they got for Christmas. And things are really crazy in the retail world during the holiday season, but then things slow down and they subside a bit. There, there's this rhythm of life. And some of you are uh, maybe in sales, and so you have these quarterly reports that you have to make out. There are these quarterly reports that you have to turn in, these figures that you have to be accountable for. Now, once that quarter is up, well, you go back to zero and you have to start all over again. But, uh, you know, you have these kind of rhythms. For many of us, there are these deadlines. There are these projects that need to be done. There are goals that need to be met at certain points. Uh, for some, it's quarterly. For others, maybe it's by the semester. But then there's a little bit of a break. And, you know, there are other people who might say, well, um, 
you know what? I never get a break. I mean, it's every single week is the same. Every single day is the same. I just have to keep working and working and working and working. No break at all. And some of you moms who are sitting here this morning are saying, you have young kids and you're saying, yeah, uh, what break are you talking about? I mean, I wish I had a day when my kids weren't hanging all over me constantly. I wish that I had a moment where I could just lay down and take a nap and not be interrupted, not be bothered. You know, I'm doing laundry all the time. You know, it feels like my kids aren't even wearing clothes. I mean, I get them out of the washing machine, out of the dryer, and I put them into their drawers, and the next thing I know, they're just pulling out those clean clothes and throwing them on the floor and walking all over them, and i got to pick them up again and wash them again. It's just never-ending. I clean the dishes, I pick up toys, I vacuum and mop the floors, I change diapers, uh, cook food, make the beds, try to teach my kids something. A break? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I wish I could look forward to a break, but that's never going to happen. Well, you know, as we attempt to kind of go back into the world of the Old Testament for a moment this morning, I want us to bridge back and to understand their world a little bit better so that we can better understand how we apply these things that God told them to our lives today. And so as, as we think about their culture, as uh, we think about a culture that is very much centered around agriculture, there were these breaks, there were these finish line activities that were kind of centered around the harvest. And, and so of the seven Jewish holiday feast times, uh, three, of them, three of them were major feast times. And we talked about this a little bit last week. There, there was first the Feast of Passover, which happened sometime around March or April. And that was kind of a grain harvest. That was the barley harvest that was coming in. So the first was the the Feast of Passover. And then 50 days after that was the Feast of Pentecost, which was a celebration of the remaining grain harvest that would be coming in. And then there was a third uh, major feast, and that's the feast that we're going to be looking at today. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, these major feasts that are talked about in the Old Testament are talked about in the books of uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, and we're going to look at a few verses from each of those uh, books of the Bible. And so uh, if you have a Bible with you this morning, you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app on your phone, but join me in Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. Now we want to jump right in here this morning. I want to begin in Leviticus 23 and verse 39. Now God gives these instructions to Moses. Moses then takes these and passes them along to the people of Israel. And here is what he says. Leviticus 23, 39. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest. And on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. So this is a seven-day feast that came during the seventh month of the year. Now, now uh, for us, our seventh month is July. Their calendar started a little bit later on, and so this was early October. Somewhere between October 5th and October 15th is when this festival 
would have taken place. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Also, it's called the Feast of Ingathering because what they were doing is this wasn't so much a uh, grain feast, a grain harvest that was taking place, but it was celebrating the grape harvest, the olive harvest that was um, just completed. And so this is taking place around the time when maybe around the time when our Halloween would be taking place or maybe around the time when uh, our Thanksgiving would be approaching. And this is a final harvest of the crops that would mature later on in the year. And so I want us to kind of think about this once here this morning. I want us to think about the grape harvest. And so I have an image here that we're going to put up on the screen. Of uh, This is a picture of uh, clusters of grapes that are on these grape vines. And uh, it, what's really important to understand here about grapes is that these weren't grapes that you had planted. These weren't vines that you had planted that particular year. Because it takes several years in order to, for vines to mature to the point where it would produce grapes that look like this. And, and so these were grapes, they were, these were vineyards that your father or your grandfather had planted. And, and you go out and you pick these grapes and you harvest these grapes that have grown on these vines. Now, uh, we live in a day and age where we have all different kinds of beverages. And uh, we, we, you can go and get Coke and Diet Coke and caffeine-free Coke. You can get Pepsi and root beer and uh, Sprite and ginger ale and all different kinds of pop. And you can get flavored water. You can go and get coffee and you can get all these different kinds of drinks. In, in fact, the options seem almost limitless of what it is that you can drink today. But for them, back in their day, you know, basically all they had was either water or wine. And so this grape harvest would ensure that they would have another option besides water to drink. It, it would also provide for them table grapes that they would be able to enjoy. But when you're going off to Jerusalem, you're going to celebrate this Feast of the Tabernacles. It, it, you've just finished the grape harvest that's happened around early October sometime. Also, there, there was this olive harvest that had just happened in the fall. We have a picture of that here this morning. We have a picture of some people harvesting some olives here this morning. And, and you wouldn't pick every olive. You wouldn't go up and go up to the olive tree and pick every olive off individually. Instead, what you would do is you would take this drop cloth. You'd lay it down underneath the tree or maybe underneath a, a number of different trees. And you would shake the branches or you would take a, a stick and you would hit the branches. And then all of these olives would start falling off and kind of dropping like rain to the ground. The, the olives were extremely important for them. Uh, you, you think about our bread. You know, we put butter on our bread. Um, they would uh, take bread and dip it in olive oil. And, and you think about maybe times when you've been to a, an Italian restaurant. You know, you take a little olive oil, you put it on the plate, maybe add some seasoning, add a, a little cheese or something to it, and, and you dip your bread into it. I mean, it, it tastes really good, right? Well, this was the primary thing that they would dip their bread in. This is the primary way that they would eat their bread. They would also take the low-grade olive oil and they would use it as fuel for the lamps in their homes. You know, you wouldn't use the good stuff, but you would take the low-grade olive oil and you would use it to burn, um, to uh, produce light in your house. Olive oil, 
was also a base that was used for cosmetics. And so in addition to eating olives, you would uh, dip the um, uh, bread that you would have in olive oil. You would also take the low-grade olive oil and you'd use it to produce light in your house. You'd use it as well for uh, cosmetics to put on your skin. And so you say, okay, Jason, well, I'm getting it here. I mean, they would have this harvest, this grape harvest, and they would harvest their grapes. They would harvest their, their olives, and then they would pour out of their towns. And they would come from Beersheba and Bethshan and Bethlehem. They would come from Mizpah and Ekron and Gilgal. And they would make their ways to Jerusalem in order to thank God for this harvest that had just taken place. Well, that was true, but there was more to it than just that. There was more that was taking place at this feast. And what is more might seem a little strange here this morning. And so if you look there again in your Bibles, in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 42, here's what we read. It says, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. And so what would happen is you and your family would pack up your stuff and you would go to Jerusalem. You would go to the countryside and you would build this booth, this temporary shelter that you would live in for seven days. Now, we have a, a picture of what one of these booths would have looked like so that you can have an idea uh, this morning of what this was. But, you know, if I was eight, nine, ten years old, I mean, this would be my favorite holiday of the year. I mean, you think about camping out, camping out in this, this like tent type thing, right? I, I don't particularly love camping anymore. I mean, I like to sleep on my nice, comfy bed in my house. But, you know, if I was a kid, I mean, camping, this is the best thing ever. And this would have been a holiday that would have been a lot of fun for that reason. And so all of these people would flock to Jerusalem. And they would come for this Feast of the Tabernacles. At times, it was also called the Feast of Booths. And this is why... Or it was also called the Feast of Ingathering. And so there was this harvest that had just taken place and people would come uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate. You would live in a booth for seven days. Now, you think, why in the world would they do that? Why would they do something that seems kind of crazy? Well, uh, if you keep reading here in Leviticus 23, verse 43, it says this. That your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booze when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In addition to being a, an annual harvest festival, thanking God for his provision. The, the booth festival of the fall, the, the, the feast of tabernacles. It was supposed to help the Israelites remember a very important event in their history. This festival, it was an annual reminder of their history as a people that God did not want them to forget. They, they, he didn't want this to get lost on them. And so we have to kind of go back a little bit and maybe review their history for a moment. You know, you, you remember that the Israelites were enslaved there in Egypt for 400 years, it was bitter, it was cruel, it was difficult. The Israelites cried out to the Lord to rescue them, and God heard their cries. He sends Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. 
And Pharaoh just kind of laughs and says, who is this Lord that you're talking about? I mean, he can't do anything to me. He can't make me do this. And so God sends these nine terrible plagues on Egypt. And then he sends a tenth plague that includes the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. Well, Pharaoh, uh, he finally releases the people of God. He says, go, get out of here. I don't want to see you around here anymore. The Israelites leave, but it's not too long before Pharaoh changes his mind. He doesn't want to let go of his free labor force. He wants them back, and so he sends his army to gather them up, to chase them down. But God intervenes at the Red Sea. He uh, crushes the Egyptians. He spares the Israelites. The Israelites are free from Egypt. They are free from the tyranny of Pharaoh. And yet for 40 years, they are out in this wilderness area wandering around. It's 40 years until they get to the promised land that God had uh, made for them or had had planned for them to be. It was going to give them as their home. As they're wandering around out in the wilderness, as they're wandering around out in the desert, they didn't really have time to uh, set up homes. And so they were moving all the time. And so they, they, they would live in these makeshift uh, shelters. For 40 years, they lived in these tents. For 40 years, they lived in these booth-like things. During that time in the desert, during that time in these booths, they were totally dependent upon God. They were dependent upon God for food. They were dependent upon God for their water. And so God would send this manna from heaven. He would send quail for them to eat. He would provide for them water. Even at times he provided water out of the rock. And they were totally dependent upon him in the desert. They, They leave the desert. They move to the promised land. And it's almost like God is saying, you know what? Never forget that I took you, what I, how I took care of you, that I took care of you out there in the wilderness. I want you to tell your kids. I want you to tell your grandkids. I want, to tell, want you to tell their kids and their kids and their kids that there was a season when you were in slavery in Egypt. And I want you to tell them how I got you out of that slavery. There was a season when you were out in the desert. And I brought you through the desert. I sustained you through the desert. And I want you to celebrate the fact that I am providing for you now. I'm providing for you in the grapes. I'm providing for you in the olives. But I also want you to remember and to think back to how I provided for you in the past. Never forget that historic time when I brought you through the desert. And so this feast of booze celebrated the fact that that year your crops were in. And the Feast of Booze looked back hundreds of years to remember how God had provided during that desert experience. And so a question that I have for you this morning is this. Have any of you gone through a desert? Have any of you uh, experienced God's provision for you through a desert time in your life? I mean, maybe you faced a really bad illness, a really bad disease, and it was really, really scary. It was a scary point in your life. Uh, You you had the surgery and treatment and rehab, whatever it might be, and now you're better. You have a a clean bill of health, and you're so thankful. You you think back to that time of, of not knowing. You think back to that time of uncertainty, and you see this evidence of how God showed his goodness, of how God showed his power to you when you were in the midst of that desert. wonder, is there anyone here this morning who's made it through a desert? 
And if you've made it through a desert, what are the behaviors of someone who has gone through a desert experience? What are the behaviors? What are, how do we react when we've come out the other side? You know, I think of those who've gone through periods of time where we have uh, experienced infertility and maybe we, we thought that we weren't going to be able to have kids. Now, now we look and we see how God has provided. We look back on those times and maybe God has provided biologically. Maybe God has provided through adoption. And there are times in life where they were really unpleasant, times when they were really confusing, times when we asked God, why? Why? And, and yet now we have this precious child. Now we have these precious children. And how should the heart respond when you have crossed through a desert and you've come out the other side? Has anyone, maybe this past year, gone through a depression? Maybe you've spent some significant time in this valley of depression, but you have kind of come out the other side now. It, 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 maybe for, for some, maybe it's marriage. Maybe the, the, the marriage has been really broken and, and just dysfunctional. There's all this fighting and, and there, there's this really ugly stretch. And now maybe things are getting a little bit better. Uh, maybe uh, you, you have uh, seen a, a turn in, in that. What, what are the behaviors of someone who has gone through a desert and has come out the other side? What are the behaviors of someone who looks back and reflects upon the fact that God has provided in this very difficult space, in this very difficult, hard space, this challenging space of life? Well, uh, we see here that these people are pointed towards three types of behaviors, and we want to kind of look at them here this morning. Three behaviors, I'm going to give you one word for each of these. Um, the first word is this. The first word is include. Include. Now, if you were here last week, we studied the Feast of Pentecost. This is going to sound maybe like it's repeating itself because it's so very identical uh, to what we read last week. But if you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 16 for a moment here this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 16 gives us these instructions for the Feast of the Tabernacles, this Feast of Booths. And in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 14, we read this. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who is who, the widow who are within your towns. What, what uh, God tells his people here is this. He says, when you're harvesting your crops and you're celebrating the goodness of God to you and to your family, as you make this trip to Jerusalem for this booth feast, this, this week-long national festivity where there, there, there's this harvest that you're celebrating, I want you to look around your village and I want you to bring some people along with you. Now, not only do you bring your immediate family, not only do you bring your son and your daughter, but maybe you look down the street and you see a 9-year-old and a 12-year-old and they've just lost both their mom and their dad recently. And you know what? These kids, they, can't, they don't have money to travel to Jerusalem. They're not even sure how they're going to find their next meal. Well, you invite them to come along with you on this festival. Maybe there's a 32-year-old woman and she's just lost her husband recently. Her, her children aren't old enough to take care of her or to, to help uh, fend for themselves. And she's kind of teetering on the edge of whether she's going to be able to make it or not. Well, you need to include her. You need to take her along on this trip with your family as well. 
And the idea here is that you've been blessed in order to be a blessing. That this was supposed to be a time of celebration. This was a festival. But it wasn't just a festival for the people who have it really good in life. This was a season where people who had this joy and this prosperity, they were supposed to drag other people along with them to share their joy. Because joy is meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared. Now, if you remember last week, I gave you a little bit of a challenge on this. And you might remember the the challenge. But over the next month, over the next few weeks, what I'd like you to do is to include somebody in something. And as we read here, we're talking about refugees and widows and orphans, uh, people who don't have people in their lives. And, and so what I'd, I'd like to ask you to do is to, to say, you know what, is there somebody that I know, maybe somebody who's new to the neighborhood, maybe somebody who is new to Chicago, who doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of friends around here, is it possible that I could invite that person to something so that they're not just all by themselves, so they're not just all alone? It may be that you invite somebody to something, or it may also be that you just go to something. You know, there's all this busyness in life with work and with grocery shopping, cooking and cleaning, taking care of the kids and taking, going to all sorts of different activities. That In the midst of that, you think about people who you could seek to support, people around you, especially people who may be alone. Maybe you go to a funeral that you weren't planning on going to and you say, hey, you know what? I, I, I made time to do this because I want you to know that you're not alone in this. Uh, but the idea here is of a festival. It's that you would include people who are outside of your immediate group. Uh, people who are outside of your family and your friends. It might be taking a meal to somebody who just had a surgery. It, it may mean that you pay special attention to somebody around you who is just flat broke. Who, who doesn't, who's really struggling financially, doesn't have much. Maybe you've gone through and you're in a period of time where you've experienced some financial prosperity. Well, why don't you keep an eye out for people around you who you could help out? Maybe you could uh, just get a gift card and and give it to somebody. Something like that. Here's the challenge. I, I don't know what it is for you. And so what I need you to do is I need you to be sensitive to the spirit. I need you to to listen to God prompting you on this in your life. That maybe you just simply pray, God, you know, open my eyes to someone in my life that I could be a blessing to. And then when he gives you a name, when he gives you a face that you kind of brainstorm something that you could do in order to be a blessing in that person's life. And so what would you do if God brought you through a desert when things have gone well when God, God's hand of provision has been clearly seen in your life, how do you respond? Well, number one, you include. You expand your table. You expand your celebration. You look for people around you that, that you can include, that you can involve in your life. And that's activity number one. Activity number two is simply the word enjoy. Enjoy. Have you crossed a desert and are you now in better days than you once were? Well, enjoy this. Have you emerged from suffocating death? Have you emerged from suffocating grief? Have you, has, has God restored your laughter? Well, listen, enjoy this. Enjoy this. Enjoy this. 
Deuteronomy 16 and verse 15 says this. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands. So that you will be altogether joyful. Enjoy this. You know, I love this. Uh, they would come to Jerusalem and there were these sacrifices that, would, that they would offer. There were these religious structures that were surrounding all of this. But really, this was a time where you say, wow, you know, the crops are in. I, I got, we got our grapes and we've got our olives and we've got our bread. And now we're kind of set. We're kind of ready for the winter. And the Lord whispers, hey, enjoy this. Enjoy this. Enjoy the ways that I have provided for you. You know, I think God has kind of created this world in a way where there's this ecological system of planting and harvesting and rainfall. And, and it should cause our hearts to turn upward towards him. It should cause our hearts to th- say, thank you. Thank you for the world that you've made. Thank you for the ways that you have provided. And his response back to us is, enjoy this. Enjoy this. You know, I want to read for us some song lyrics. These are song lyrics that are actually found in your Bible. Psalm 104. Here, uh, Psalm 104 uh, talks about the rain. It talks about cattle grazing in the fields. It talks about plants growing. It talks about uh, olive oil and bread and wine. And these are the words of the Bible from uh, Psalm 104. And the writer seems to keep saying, hey, God, Thank you. Thank you for the ways that you've designed this world. And and so I want us to read this. And as we kind of read this, I want you to maybe just picture in your mind some of these things that God has provided. Here's what it says. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants uh, for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. In those song lyrics, it's like this barrage of imagery. It's like it's talking about falling rain and growing grain, baking bread and grazing cattle. And the heart of the song is like, God, thank you. Thank you for the world that we get to enjoy, the world that you've created. And so I wonder, what would your song be? What what would you write about? You know, maybe you you say, you know, I I could write this. I could write, he, he waters, he makes the rain fall to the ground so that I can enjoy rich, dark coffee in the morning. I can enjoy crisp apples. Tangy oranges, fresh bread, almonds. You know, I think that the creator has kind of rigged our world in such a way that there are these components where we would enjoy everything that we look at around us. And the heart would have this upward turn and that we would enjoy these good things that he has given to us, these good things that he's provided. And so word number one is include. Word number two, enjoy. And then finally, here in this passage, the word acknowledge. Acknowledge. 
Uh, again, this is a parallel to what we looked at last week in Pentecost. And so if it looks familiar, then it is because we looked at it last week. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 17 says this. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. You know, it doesn't say what each person is supposed to bring. It just says each per. It doesn't say like each person is supposed to bring two bushels of grapes with them. It just says bring a gift. And that gift might be money, that gift might be fruit or olives, but bring a gift to Jerusalem for this feast. Bring a gift in proportion to the way that God has blessed you. And so the idea here is that if you had a big farm, you had lots of land and the rain came and, and, and you got enough rain, uh, more rain than you could even imagine. And, and you had this huge harvest that year. You would bring a large gift with you. If you, maybe you had this little postage stamp of a property and, and you didn't get much rain and you didn't have much of a harvest. Well, you'd bring a much smaller gift, but you would bring something. Because this gift is a representative of the whole thing. Now, I'm not saying that everyone uh, had this same thought process as they were doing this, but they were supposed to. And the thoughtful giver in giving this gift is saying, you know what? This is just a token of all that you've blessed me with. But I am giving this gift in order to acknowledge that I know where my stuff comes from. On those days when you're at church and... The, the offering plate is passed, and you, you, I think it'd be great if we just disciplined ourselves and disciplined our hearts that as we drop a check or we drop money into the offering plate that we would be able to say to ourselves, God, I know where my stuff comes from. You know, this is just a token of all that I've received as a gracious gift from your hand. I know where my stuff comes from. What if on those occasions, maybe at the end of the year or maybe at tax return season or maybe uh, when uh, you get a bonus at work that you have an opportunity to give something special to someone who's involved in missions somewhere around the world. Or maybe you have the opportunity to give a gift to a not-for-profit organization or maybe just giving something to somebody in need. That as you write that check, as you go online and you press send, that you say, God, I know where my stuff comes from. Now, these gifts are given in order to acknowledge the giver, and the primary giver is not any of us, right? The idea here is that God uh, uses this as kind of a conduit. And there's this conduit of receiving and giving. We receive and we give. We receive and we give. We receive and we give. It is gratitude and it is generosity. Gratitude and generosity kind of go hand in hand, right? That the truly grateful, thankful person has their eyes open to the people around them. And they're able to say, God, thank you for the things that you've blessed me with. Help me in order to serve other people with these good gifts from your hand. There, there's to be a direct connection between the thankful, grateful heart and the person who has a giving heart. And so... If God has brought you through a desert, if a season of depression has come and is leaving, if it's been a year where life has gone from really, really bad and ugly to now you're kind of in, at least in survival mode, if this has been a year where maybe a child that has been distant and far off is now come and return to you, begun to return to God, Maybe this has been a year where you, your heart, is returning to God. 
You've come through this desert, this desert season of your life. What are the behaviors of the truly grateful person? Well, we include, we enjoy, and we acknowledge, right? Because this is the language of responding to the God who has provided for us. I want to ask the worship team to come forward. They're going to prepare to lead us in a closing song this morning. As they're coming, I just want to say this. You know, we've been focusing our time this morning on the Old Testament, on Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And we've been looking at this Feast of the Tabernacles. Well, when, when we get to the New Testament, we're told of an occasion where Jesus is at this particular festival, at this particular feast in Jerusalem. He's probably living in a booth. Maybe he's living in a number of booths with his disciples. And Jesus was probably there more than once on more than one occasion. And it's specifically recorded, though, that this Feast of the Tabernacle, Jesus was there in Jerusalem on this occasion. And so John chapter 7 and verses 37 and 38, I'd like you to read his words um, this morning to us. Here's what he says. Here's, this is Jesus, he says, at the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last day of the feast, the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And Jesus is most likely in the temple complex when he says this. It's this national festival. Hundreds of thousands of people have descended upon Jerusalem. He's teaching there in the temple. He's been teaching throughout the week. The end of the week has come. And he stands up and he yells out, Hey, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You know, it's a great invitation. On another occasion, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I mean, what great qualifications. You know, you think about that. Uh, how, how are we to come? Well, you know, are you tired? Are you wore out? You, you just can't figure out how you're going to be able to take your, do, do the next thing that you need to do in life. Well, that's great because you can come. You're invited to come if that's you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, those of you who are thirsty, and I will give you something to drink. Come to me, those of you who are tired of the evil that lurks in your own lives. Those of you who are tired of living the way that you, were, you have been living, come to me. Come to me, all of those of you who need comfort. Come to me, all of those of you who need wisdom. Come to me, come to me, come to me. And drink from the fountain of life that will never run dry. Jesus says, come, come to me. We have the privilege.